0: That birth was awful. It was really, really awful. And it's why I became a doula, and it's why I created Be Her Village to try to get doulas accessible for every single parent, every single mother, because nobody's coming to save us.
1: Today, Caitlin shares how she saved herself and her plan for the rest of us on War Stories from the Womb. This is a show that shares true experiences of getting pregnant, being pregnant, and giving birth to help shift the common cultural narrative away from the glossy depictions of this enormous transition you can find on all kinds of media to a more realistic one. It also celebrates the incredible resilience and strength it takes to create another person and release that new person from your body into the world. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenka. I'm a writer and an economist and the mother of two girls. And boy, did I struggle with this transition. In today's episode, I finished my conversation with Caitlin McGreas, the CEO of Be Her Village. She shares her challenges in postpartum, which dramatically changed the course of her life. She left teaching to become a doula and the combination of a birth that jumped the tracks, as they often do, and the difficulties of postpartum inspired her to try to change the way the rest of us experience postpartum. A transformation that is amazing because of the company she's created and because her description of it gives us all a roadmap for what services we should be seeking out in postpartum so that you're not trying to heal while tending to a newborn by yourself. We pick up today where we left off last week, where Caitlin is describing a birth that was not progressing the way she had hoped.
0: I opened my eyes and I looked at the midwife and I said, what's going on? And she said, well, so my baby was going to tachycardic instead of radicardic. So the baby's heart rate wasn't going low. It was actually going really high up until the hundreds. which after taking Karen Strange's newborn resuscitation protocol, that's just as dangerous. That's just as bad of an indication. So there was a heart rate issue. And in retrospect, what happened is essentially his head was a little asynclitic. It was just like a little off. And I think with me opening so quickly, and then the epidural, I'm sure opening me I think he just got jammed in and stuck and, and he just struggled a little bit. So I remember looking at the midwife and she said, I, st- I still kind of can't believe what she said. They were all clearly worried about it. They were describing something that was scary. And she said, I'm going to call the the OB and the OB will come in in about 45 minutes. Oh my God. Look, And I want to just like preface this by, I said this about me and I would never say this to a pregnant person. I said, okay, I just want a healthy baby. Just get me a healthy baby. And I I say that because it's incredibly toxic to say, at least you had a healthy baby. All that matters is a healthy baby. No, that's not true. I matter. But at that moment, everything I had desired about this birth was so far out of the window, right? What I meant, if I had the capacity to speak in a full thought, what I meant is you've ruined all of this. Right. This has already been destroyed. I need a healthy baby at the end of this. I need a consolation prize of a healthy baby. So do whatever it takes. Um, I mean, all, all I'll say in
1: your defense is that first of all, everything is focused not on you at all. So yeah. every signal from the outside is focused on the baby. And who cares about you? And mm-hmm. saying the doctor will be here next Tuesday. I hope that's fine. I hope that works in your schedule is an insane thing to say. Yes. And and we're told by a thousand different sources, but you got a healthy baby.
0: Right. So th- I, that's why I preface it. I wanted a healthy baby so that I didn't go through this horrible thing and had yeah. something traumatic happen to yeah. baby. at the very least, give me a healthy baby because yeah. you've already not cared for me. And I have to say, this is why I'm so adamant that it's about support. It's about respect. It's about trauma informed autonomous experiences because my C-section was my ticket out. My C-section, when I asked for the C-section, when I said, I want a healthy baby. And she said, okay, let's do a C-section. And I said, okay, it was the first time in the entire experience that someone listened to me the first time. And it shifted. It did. It felt better. It felt better that they listened to me. It was still, (laughs) we were still not through the woods yet, but it, it was the first time I was listened to. So, yeah, so I went in for emergency C-section and it was awful. It was awful mostly because I was shaking so hard from the fast labor and the drugs and all the things. So I remember they strapped my arms down. This time I was actually strapped down, which is just the way we treat birthing people and birthing women in this country is disgusting and cruel. And they strapped my arms down and they, They did the surgery and I remember I was, I got to meet the baby for one second, but I was a little panicked because my arms, if they hurt, they were aching because I was involuntarily shaking against the straps. And I asked the anesthesiologist if they can unstrap my arms and instead, without saying a word to me or my husband, they gave me a drug that made me go unconscious. Wow. Still don't know what that was. Never had a conversation. My husband was sitting there holding the baby. One minute I'm talking and one minute I'm passed out. And he looked at the doctor and said, is she okay? And they said, yeah, we just gave her something to calm down. Oh my god! Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so glad I haven't told this story and it comes out different every time. I haven't told this story. I'm getting angry all over again. And I'm recognizing why I'm so angry just about why I'm doing this work. Because that is what happened in 2012. It's freaking 2012. That's how we're treating women. And the, the truth is that's happening today somewhere. I'm sure. I'm
1: sure Just the worst part. To slip something in your drink in a hospital during your during your delivery sounds yeah. like the plot of a movie I would think was not believable.
0: Yep. But this is the thing. They we don't care about women. Yeah. We don't care about mothers. And everybody at that hospital was just trying to get through their day. Yeah. That annoying mom who was panicking during one of the most important moments of her life with no discussion, with no conversation, with no consent, I was drugged while asking for my non-consented straps to be removed.
1: I'm so sorry. That is just, that's a terrible thing to have happened.
0: Thanks. Yeah, it is. And it's honestly, that birth was awful. It was really, really awful, and it's why I became a doula, and it's why I created Be Her Village to try to get doulas accessible for every single parent, every single mother, because nobody's coming to save us. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's coming to save us, and our communities have the funds. They have the generosity. They want to support us. Who doesn't want to support a new mother? There's so much love and generosity flowing our way. It's just flowing our way in the wrong direction. Imagine if I, at my baby shower, got a lactation visit, got a, a doula just funded. What if I got a few baby things and a bunch of stuff to make that experience different? I'd probably be a special ed teacher right now. You know, yeah. you know, there would yeah. be no reason to be called in, but many of us are called into this work from our own lived traumatic experiences in interacting. And, and the thing is, this is, it's not just baby registry. We call it the baby shower revolution because we're pissed and we're yeah. getting hurt and injured and killed and nobody seems to care. And even if we're not hurt or injured or killed, I wasn't any of those things, right? But I was traumatized. I was treated like garbage during my own birth. I was drugged. I was strapped down. I was ignored. Yeah, there's, I mean, there has to be a change in this. Country. Even if you
1: don't have all those things, the rate of accidents and quote near misses is what they're called, right? I was looking at the statistics for 3.8 million births a year, there's something like 60,000 near misses, which means we almost killed you. Oops, but we did not. And that, and something like 90% of them are preventable. So oh, yeah. the way we're handling mothers in this situation is really dangerous.
0: Well, that's the other thing too. you I love what you just said. There's moms across the world and every other developed country is getting it right or getting it better. Yeah. They have midwifery care, they have postpartum care, they have guaranteed in-home care, they have communities, they care about their mothers, they subsidize daycare, they send health visitors, they're handing out pelvic floor therapy like it's candy. They care about the family, right? We hear a lot about family, family, family first. Cool, family first, fund mothers, fix our, our health care system.
1: Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed.
0: So that's crazy. Do they keep you for
1: two days because you had a C-section or how does that go? They
0: were supposed to keep me for three nights. That's yeah. what I've done. But they wrote two nights on my board and I used that as my point of power because I wanted to get out of the hospital. I would have left that day if I could have. So I just, every time somebody walked in my room, I confirmed with them that the two nights was correct. And then I would be discharged on the morning of day three. So I was discharged. I had the baby Saturday morning and I was discharged Monday, midday.
1: And your mother takes you home because your husband's back at work.
0: My mother takes me home from Brooklyn because my husband was already back at work.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. And then what happens when you get home? Are you just shell-shocked? I mean, what are your Yeah?
0: I mean, it was just I don't, it's all it's just blurry. You get home, you're happy, you're home, trying to figure out breastfeeding. Breastfeeding wasn't going great. You know, I had an inverted flat nipple. But I have to say, I got this, I'm going to make breastfeeding work if it kills me, because it was the last thing I had. It was the last untouched thing that these people couldn't take from me, right? So I was dead set. I was even more dead set on um, breastfeeding. Although I have to say too, like the other thing that I was experiencing was definitely postpartum anxiety. I didn't even know I was in it. It just, the world had shifted under my feet. And my husband was working full time. He was also in grad school full time. So I did the thing a lot of new moms do, especially ones that are staying home with their babies, where I just take on the 24-7 care of this little one. And it's not because he wasn't willing. I have to tell you, it's not because he wasn't willing. He was also really busy with the other two. And the other two, I was like, cool, here, I nursed him. Take the take the baby. I'm going back to bed. But the first one, I was in such a high panic state likely because I went into that state at that phone call on, on the sidewalk, right? You have to unwind from that, but how do you unwind from that panic when you enter immediately another stressful event followed by another stressful event? This is me landing in my home three days after I had my baby trying to figure out which way is up. I have had more adrenaline coursing through my body and cortisol and all these stress hormones Than I've ever had before. And there's no clear path to winding down from that. So I I just sort of went into the newborn thing. You know, my parents came and helped us as much as they could, but they lived 45 minutes away and they both work full-time. One owns a company and one works full-time. So they did what they could, which wasn't, which was plenty for them, but it's not what a mother, a new mother needs. And I don't blame them for that. It's it's I don't blame myself for that. I don't blame them for that. There's there's a fundamental wrongness about how we support parents in this country. It's it's systemic. It's not anybody individually's fault. And my husband was back at work. So I just, I tried to figure it out. I remember night two of his life, which actually, no, it was the first night we were home, which was Monday night. So that was night three. And I remember he had slept all day and he was up the entire night breastfeeding. So I was up all day Monday, and then all night Monday. And I remember not wanting to wake my husband up. I remember falling asleep with him. I set up a blanket on the floor of our living room and I curled up next to him and finally got him to sleep. And we slept on the floor at 5 a.m. We finally got to sleep an hour or two before my husband had to get up. And I mean, that scene, God, that's not something I've really shared with people, but that scene is a product of, Me being fearful of, you know, my husband not getting the sleep he needs to go and, you know, earn money for our family and to be able to get through his day. And it's also misinformation or lack of information about co-sleeping and bed sharing and how to do that safely. And at least I had the wherewithal to not sleep on the couch with him. But I ended up laying on the floor in my living room and curling up next to my three-day-old to get a few hours of sleep. That was... That was how it went. (laughs) So not great, Paulette, not great. (laughs) I I imagine it was wildly comfortable after the C-section
1: because that's when you want to be on something hard.
0: Yeah. I remember the first time he woke up in the middle night. So that's always a fear, right? Am I going to, am I going to hear him, you know? And I remember I did hear him because I slept totally different. I'm sure most parents who've been through it, you sleep in a totally different wavelength after you have a kid. Even when you're sleeping, you're not in that deep, deep sleep. You're elevated, and I remember hearing him fuss next to me. And I remember sitting up so fast, way too fast for that C-section incision. And that was that was really tough. I also remember, and this is not necessarily comfortable to share, but if it helps someone, I'm happy to. I also remember finally getting him, getting him to sleep. And a little part of me, a horrible little voice in my head, just wished he wouldn't wake up. Yeah. Which is a horrible thing to say because there's kids that don't wake up and that's awful. And I don't mean to belittle it, but I was just so stuck and so stressed and so tired. And for this baby that was very wanted, we planned to get pregnant. I remember my husband didn't want to do it yet. And I was like, nope, it's time we're doing it. So we got pregnant. I wanted, I pushed for this baby. I was so excited for nine months. And then to just have this thing who I love. I mean, I love my baby it has nothing to do with love. I just wanted to go back. I just wanted to get out of it. And there's, I felt really, really, really trapped. And and the way out, you know, you think about it. I didn't think about hurting him. I just sort of wished, <laughs> but then and simultaneously in that moment, knew that if anything happened to him, I would be devastated for the rest of my life. It's such a strange psychological experience to be an exhausted new mother. You think irrational things, you know, but I thought them. I thought them and I had intrusive thoughts. I worried I wouldn't let people hold him because I worried they would crack his head on the tile. I mean, I just had all of these anxious, scary things happening. Never never had a thought of killing myself or hurting myself or hurting my baby. But I can see how people go down that road because nothing that you're thinking is rational. You're sleep deprived. Your body is different. Your whole whole world shifts, not to mention the hormones. It's, It's just... It's an incredibly disorienting experience. And I mean, it, it is like, no, during that time is criminal, quite
1: frankly. It, it is like nothing else, right? It is, I mean, your body has been through so much in the two days before. You probably weren't sleeping great at 41 weeks in the summer in New York before you had the baby. And now you've gone two full days with no sleep at all. There's no recovery. I feel like there's so much language used around pregnant women in birth that just, is terrible language like incompetent cervix and geriatric pregnant? Like there's yeah, a million words. Right. Once
0: it yeah, once yeah. not enough weight. Yeah, there's
1: a, there's right. a million words we should get rid of. But the word exhausted is not. There should be a special word for the feeling of that period because exhausted is what many people feel after work. This is not that. This is something totally different, which like, is
0: why you're visiting these weird realms. Right? What was it? It's like existential exhaustion. Yeah. Exhaustive. Yeah. Exactly. It's your existence is exhausted. Like you're tired in your cells.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's really hard to explain. Yeah. I agree. We need a new word for it. I love that.
1: So I, you know, I'm not surprised. It is just an unbelievably taxing thing. So we're gonna skip ahead a little bit. At what point do you decide to make this company? And and before you start that, I wanna I wanna read something on your website. It says, you deserve this. Imagine a gift registry where you can sign up for a clean house, promptly folded laundry, home cooked meals, visit with a lactation specialist. And there's a long list of things that you can get, but this is what you have on your site. Sounds like a dream. Be Her Village will make this a reality. I mean, this is true. And, you know, why isn't everyone doing this all the time? And, you know, it doesn't exist in other countries because they're actually taking care of women. So, what? When did you come up with this this idea?
0: Yeah, I came up with this idea actually while I was driving up to Albany to lobby for midwives in 2019. They have a lobby day every year, and I had attended a birth justice warrior breakfast with Dr. Martine Hackett, and she was she really gave me a full blown education on racism in the maternal care system, which I did not I did not understand. I didn't realize how close it was to me. I didn't realize how pervasive it was. Honestly, as a middle-class white woman on Long Island, hadn't really thought about black maternal mortality and racism. It just wasn't a thing on my radar. And I, I woke up to that in a really big way. And I think part of it is what they said in this breakfast and they founded this birth justice warrior program is they said, you know, we need people working within their own communities. We need, we need doulas. We need people helping people navigate this. And I looked at my own practice, which was a thriving, wonderful doula team. We were doing beautiful work. The people we were working with were highly impacted by our care. But we were out of pocket, right? And so I had this drive. And I just started thinking, what can I do? What can I do to get more people access to care? But how can I do it without replicating what anyone else is doing? Because I'm not a big fan of competition. I don't want to take away from any of the things, the highly important work all these different groups are doing. How can we add on? How can I add my own gift into this work? How can I move this forward? And I started thinking about the baby shower. It just sort of burst into my brain the way, literally like the light bulb. And what if we used the baby shower as the place. What if the money that's there? Cause you know, it really comes down to money and it's an uncomfortable thing. People don't like talking about money, but why don't people have doulas? Cause they can't afford us. Yeah. Money, money's the barrier. And where are people, the, the question that I had in my brains. Okay. So money's the barrier. How do we get more people money? Well, where are moms getting funded? Where's the funding for moms? Boom, baby shower. Because there's wonderful people doing the work, right? And I did go testify at Albany recently to the state senators about duals being covered. There's great groups doing the lobbying work, doing the government, the insurance angle, all of that. And that's important. I fully support them. But there's a faster way, right? We can create this tool to get communities funding moms immediately. And that's where the Beaver Village Baby Registry came in. Because... The money's there, right? People are spending $12 billion a year on baby gifts. The love is there, the generosity is there, the celebration is there, right? This is all, we don't have to recreate this. This all all exists. So all we have to do is shift. We just need to, we just need to say, hey, instead of going on a on a baby stuff registry and buying these things that I think everybody kind of knows isn't what people need. What if we made the best registry there is with the most impactful gifts where you can send somebody a doula, or you can send someone a lactation consultant, or you can prepare somebody through childbirth education, or you can give them a week's worth of meals or buy them dinner for, you know, for a month, you can do these things that will deeply impact their experience. Yeah. Baby shower gift. Why doesn't this exist? And so I made it. (laughs) That's where Be Your Village came. Why doesn't it exist? And I, I know now why it didn't exist because there's no profit in it because it's way easier to sell strollers and car seats and a bunch of baby gear that has questionable safety and lots of claims about how they help parents. It's way easier to mass produce things in China and put them on a shelf of a national store or a national website. It's way easier than bringing communities alive, then identifying all of the birth workers and connecting them to the parents and doing this on this mass cultural shift scale, it's a lot harder to do what we're doing at Beer Village than it is to start any kind of baby registry website. But the thing is, I didn't get into this to make money. I got into this because this needs to exist. Because the way I was prepared for my birth was not enough. It just wasn't enough. And I have this daughter now, you know, I have this little seven-year-old girl. She was four when I started this. And I can't look at her in the eye and not try to make this world better for her and not try to change what her motherhood experience will be if she decides to become a mother. And that's that's really where Be Her Village came from. It's just, this needs to exist. And the people that, the traditional people, right? The business people and the people who have tons of money They're the ones that should do it and could do it in a heartbeat, but they don't have the motivation because it's not the most profitable and it's not the easiest, it's not the easiest path. And, you know, you can't 10x scale this. This is, this is a grassroots movement. Everything we've accomplished to this day has been just by getting on podcasts like this and friends telling friends and sisters telling sisters and doulas telling other doulas and everybody using Be Her Village as the tool that it is to make this shift happen. This is us reclaiming and demanding that we do things differently. So
1: one thing that I saw on your website that's super impressive is it looks like a map of, is it doulas
0: and midwifery that are connected to the service? Is that what it is? So yeah, so we have a map on our website and it's actually dynamic. You can play around with it. One shows all of the registrants that are on our site, anybody who's created a registry. And then there's another one for practitioners. So we have an entire shopping guide. Part of our goal is to have birth and postpartum care as easy to shop for and gift as strollers and car seats. So the way you can go on Amazon or target.com and search for all these items and see their pricing and see their availability and get them delivered to you and see reviews. That's what we're building on Be Her Village. So birth workers, it's completely free. Any kind of practitioner that cares for mothers can create a profile Come join us and get their services listed so that when parents in your area use our shopping guide, they're shown practitioners in a 50 mile radius of them and they can connect with their team because we want to make it. So that when a mom comes on, she can just click. And in our shopping guide, it's it's dynamic. You see people in your area, but it also helps you understand, like, what do you mean I need support? Well, okay, so look here. How about midwives? How about doulas? How about photographers? How about lactation care? How about support groups? You know, we sort of lay it out for new parents so that they can come to our site, not really knowing what they need and discover it the same way they would go to a traditional, you know, baby stuff site and shop for themselves there.
1: So if I'm a doula or a midwife, I just go to your site and create a profile. That's how it works.
0: Exactly. Yep. Okay. For anybody else who serves mothers.
1: Okay. That is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's amazing. We should all be doing it. I'm so excited to hear your story and that this exists because this seems like the answer.
0: Thank you so much, Paulette. I, it, it is my pleasure to be able to tell my story with you. I really appreciate you.
1: Thanks again to Caitlin for sharing her story and for committing so much time, energy, intelligence, and acumen to changing this fundamental aspect of all of our transitions to motherhood. The American love affair with individualism has some benefits, but they aren't obvious when it comes to birthing and postpartum. After birth, we tend to think that a mother's job is to care for a newborn, but really she has to tend to herself and the newborn. When we think about becoming a mother, we still have to take care of ourselves because the mother and the newborn are a pair. If the mother's not doing well physically or emotionally, that translates to the baby. Given that, a baby shower doesn't really capture that aspect. Even though the person who gave birth was taking care of themselves before the birth, what they need after the birth is fundamentally different. You don't immediately go back to or maybe ever go back to the person you were before the baby was born, which is not to say that everything that came before is erased, it's just cast in a different light. Probably it's irrationally optimistic to say this, but I look forward to the day when paid leave for six weeks is a well-accepted minimum, as are visits to the postpartum mom a few days after delivery from a nurse or a midwife, when pelvic floor therapy is widely administered and available and lactation help is easy to get. And we can all appreciate just what an amazing accomplishment it is to grow and deliver a baby. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please share it with friends. We'll be back next week with another inspiring story.